Welcome back to Two Keto Dudes. This is Carl Franklin from Connecticut in the United States. And in February 2016, I put myself on a ketogenic diet to take control of my metabolism. In just two and a half months, I managed to reverse all my markers of type 2 diabetes with diet alone. As of now, I'm 80 pounds lighter with no signs of diabetes or heart disease. Hi, I'm Richard Morris in Canberra, Australia. I've been on a ketogenic diet since April of 2014. And when I started, I was very sick with complications from type 2 diabetes. Within six months of starting a ketogenic diet, all of my biomarkers of disease had disappeared. See ya! I lost about 100 pounds, and I've completely turned my health around. And this show is a document of my progress through ketosis, and Richard's experience thriving for years in ketosis. Oh, yeah. Well, actually, now it's just a document of our success being in ketosis for years. It kind of is. Hopefully that might help a few people who are curious about this kind of dietary hacking. Yeah, we're not doctors. We don't want to give anyone any medical advice, but we are keen to share our own experiences. We're actually both software developers, so we're not afraid of a little technical detail, are we, Carl? That would be null. <laughs> software joke there. <laughs> <laughs> We've done some research into our own deranged metabolisms and the science behind that. We hope to share some of that research. Where possible, we intend to put links in the show notes to cite research supporting any claims that we make. You'll probably work out pretty quickly that we're both foodies. Oh, yeah. We love to cook and we love to eat. Mm -hmm. Sure do. In every episode, we both share a keto recipe that cannot, and I say cannot, and will not, <laughs> be ignored. Be ignored. <laughs> not this week, it can't. <laughs> So let's start podcast number 104. What we got wrong. You say you're for a little. Wait a minute. 104, 52 weeks a year? Does that mean this is our second anniversary? Why, yes, it does. Happy yeah. anniversary. <laughs> and I didn't buy you any flowers. I know. I'll, well, I'll raise my two keto dudes coffee mug in your direction, sir. There you go. Congratulations. I promised before the end of this episode we're going to be making some chocolate. <laughs> Probably. My, my job in promising that past <laughs> past month. <laughs> Probably. Well, do we have any apologies or corrections from last week's show? So uh, that was the episode with Ivor, and mm -hmm. he was flawless, as he always is. Yeah. Uh, but we actually had one person complain about a comment that we made about anti-vaccination and anti-fluoride movements. Okay. And this came from Lisa, and she says, I have a bone to pick with you. Mm. As keto, as we all understand the difficulty of going against the current system of conventional medicine and dietary wisdom, we all know it's extremely hard to change the status quo due to the financial incentives and politics involved. Uh, most people, not us, assume our doctors and governmental health agencies know best. Here's my problem. In your last podcast with Ivor, you guys spoke disparagingly about the anti-vaxxers and anti-fluoride people actually dismissing them as weirdos. Uh, have you ever seriously researched these topics yourself? Well, I have, and it's truly disturbing. Many brave scientists and doctors are speaking out and being ostracized and financially harmed for doing the right thing, similar to many keto doctors. I'm not suggesting that you take on these issues. One can only effectively focus on so much, but I'm asking you to be more open-minded and at least not belittle those trying to get that knowledge out uh, and to greatly improve public health. We're all trying to help humanity here, so sorry for the scolding, but I felt it was necessary. Um, and I would say that uh, ketogenic diets and anti-vaccination really are not necessarily travellers together on the same road just because they're both leading away from the commonly accepted view. There was a doctor in England called Dr Andrew Wakefield who um, published uh, pretty much the seminal anti-vaccination um, 
study in the British Medical Journal. Mm -hmm. Um, And it turned out uh, when people tried to replicate it that it was quite fraudulent, unfortunately. And there was a lot of cherry picking of data, there's misrepresentation of the math. Um, There were ethical concerns about uh, getting the the data from um, underage patients and not getting their consent. Uh, their guardian's consent and there's hmm. a lot of things that went wrong in that particular instance uh, that ended up uh, embarrassing everybody it certainly embarrassed the british medical journal and they essentially campaigned to have him stripped of his uh, medical license so of course one bad apple doesn't necessarily mean the whole field is bad mm. but it it's not a good look and uh on the nutrition side most of the fraud happened on the other side of the fence, the people who were supporting the diet heart hypothesis and the food pyramid, mm. a lot of their data is cherry picked. Uh, they uh, selectively published. Uh, if they didn't like the results, they would um, they would hide the study mm. results, or they would publish it eighteen years later in a in a little known journal. And and most of the even though there's not been a lot of study supporting a ketogenic diet because. There's the, the kind of people who fund those kinds of studies aren't interested in in that particular part of the, the, the story. Mm-hmm. The few studies that we do have really do support the fact that um, there is a clear evidence that a ketogenic diet for uh, type 2 diabetes really is a, an appropriate treatment. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I would say that um, I, I don't... I, I mean, I can only pick one battle to fight, and I'm not really interested in calling anyone weirdos. And if I did call somebody a weirdo, I apologize. I think that was Ivor who called them out as weirdos, and you know, we didn't challenge him on it. I really don't know enough about it to uh, yeah. to have that argument. But um, Lisa does bring up an important point that you know we we should be respectful and mindful of of other opinions and look into the science before we make comments like that. But, you know, I yeah. maybe Ivor has, and uh, he just mm-hmm. didn't share the details. So, yeah. uh, thanks for bringing that up to us, Lisa. Yep, thank you, Lisa. So, let's revisit what a ketogenic diet is. Ketogenic diet is any diet that puts you in a state of nutritional ketosis. Mm-hmm. That means you're burning fat as your primary fuel source. Instead of glucose. And the byproduct of that fat burning is ketone bodies. Mm-hmm. Ketone bodies and fatty acids are used to fuel your body. Yeah. And uh, in order to get there, we have a surefire way to do that, which is to reduce your carbohydrate intake to 20 grams or less per day. Um, And then not just the amount of carbs, but the source of those carbs. Mm -hmm. If all 20 grams of those carbs are sugar, well, you may have a problem. (laughs) But we want to get our carbohydrates from green leafy vegetables, dairy products, nuts, that kind of thing. So replace all the sugar and starch in your diet with healthy fats. Mm-hmm. And uh, your protein should stay moderate. Yeah, it's going to be around about the same as you'd be eating on a standard American diet. Mm. I mean, don't go out of your way to to eat a high protein diet. That that was the mistake everyone made with Atkins in the first go round. Right. But um, for us, it's between one and one and a half grams per kilogram of lean mass. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, it's not a it's not a, a large amount of protein. Protein we don't really need for energy. We need protein to to build our body and to. Uh, you know, right. most of our body is made of protein. So, uh, yeah, that's that's its job. Yeah, mm. and if you're fasting, you kick off the mm-hmm. autophagy process, and there's your protein right there. So if you have the mm. extra fat, body fat, to support a fast, um, that's, yeah. how, that's how you can get your protein, interestingly enough. So how was your week? 
Uh, it was interesting. I uh, My ketones have started to come down. They're still high, but they're now in my normal range. So Cool. Uh, where normally my ketones would be 0.2 uh, to 0.8, they're pretty much around 0.8 all the time now. So I was eating glycine to enable me to, to be efficient at making collagen or yep. to, to and I make sure that I had all the raw, raw ingredients to make mm-hmm. collagen to support this dental implant. Well, um, I, I observed this metabolic byproduct, metabolic side effect, where I, all of a sudden I started making a large amount of ketones, for me a large amount. Yep. Uh, well, they've started to come down or they appear to have started to come down a little bit, so it might just have been sort of a, a honeymoon effect with the, with the, the sudden change, and maybe my body's now getting used to that uh, uh, that level of glycine supplement that I'm having, and so um, you know maybe that it may be that your body is uptaking more ketone bodies too. Who knows? Who knows? So I think yeah, the easiest way to f- to work this out is uh, at once I've uh, done the talk test, I'm going to go back and I'm going to uh, stop the supplementation i'm going to stop eating mm-hmm. food with a lot of cl- connective tissue like uh, pork skin and i'm going to uh, see whether the the observed metabolic effect goes away yeah. and if it does then i'll start to add it in a little bit and see what the minimum effective dose mm. is for me uh, but it's an interesting experiment to sure is to, to take on yeah. I got myself some glycine too. Oh, you did? Yeah. Well, we've had a lot of experience. From, a lot of people on the forums have been saying, yeah, I've noticed the same thing. So, yep. I have, I've been taking it for a couple of days and I haven't started measuring ketones yet, but I will. Okay. Well, I'm going to put a pin in it right now and call it a potentially interesting observation. Right. I don't really want other people to, to start supplementing glycine because Richard's doing it. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but, uh, but you know, I appreciate you, you joining me on this quest. <laughs> sure. So how was your week, Carl? Uh, I had a good week. I started out with a good two-day fast, which always makes for mm-hmm. a good week. Um, yeah. I got a subscription to Dry Farm Wines. Interesting. Dry Farm Wines is a company, and I'm not making a plug for them. They're not paying me for this. I actually subscribed and paid my money, and I get six bottles yeah. a month of red mm-hmm. wines. They're the wines that they find, and they do find them. They're not all made by this. It's not a vineyard, basically. Okay. They find wines that have close to zero uh, residual sugar. Right. And so they're they're guaranteed less than one gram of carbs per liter and less than one mm. gram of sugar per liter, essentially. Nice. So so they're very dry. The what I learned about um residual sugar, just doing some research online, is that yeast turns sugar into alcohol, right? So That's right. to make a wine sweet, mm-hmm. you have to at the point where you want it at that particular alcohol to sugar level, sure. you have to inhibit or stop the fermentation process. Gotcha. And winemakers do this by adding sulfites. Mm, interesting. And sulfites don't actually kill the yeast. They just inhibit it for a while. The yeast will eventually recover. Yeah. Mm. So that knocks out the wild yeast long enough so the cultured yeast added by the winemaker eats up most of the sugar. So if you let this process just go on naturally, you don't add sulfites then you get right. as much alcohol out of the sugar and you end up with less sugar. However, the dry farm wines also say they're lower in alcohol than some wines are. They're 12%, which to me sounds about normal. And they, it doesn't taste any more alcoholy or less alcoholy than than other wines. But, but the stuff that I've had uh, is very good. And 
While I'm on the subject, there might be some of you who are saying, Carl, didn't you quit drinking? Uh, remember on the show? Remember on the show I yeah, said se- I quit drinking? Se- September, September the 12th, uh, 2016? Yeah, yeah. Not that I remember, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, so what happened was, um, and I, I, I did this because uh, my wife had a, and she, I don't think she minds if I tell the story, but she had some liver problems. The doctor, you know, mm-hmm. her liver numbers came back kind of wonky. And right. uh, the doctor said, you know, we're going to give you some supplementation. And by the way, you know, probably a good idea to stop drinking. So, so she did that for her own health and found that it was hard when we had, you know, bottles of makers and stuff in the house to, you know, just because it's, Hey, you know, the end of the end of the week, Mm -hmm. end of the day, have a drink. It's right there. So to support her, I uh, I got it all out of the house. Nice. Well done. Yeah, and I'm still doing that. We don't have liquor in the house, but uh, she doesn't drink wine, and so I, you know, I still have my wine with dinner, that kind of thing. So that's your free pass then? Yeah, that's my free <laughs> pass. Know, she doesn't drink wine, yeah. Right. That's but awesome. Also, the other thing I want to mention this week is that Richard and I have also been working on some software together to help us with podcast production, and it's looking very promising. Oh, well, Carl's doing most of the work. I'm just, uh, I'm just pointing and laughing. Yeah, <laughs> but it is, it is uh, helping to shave off hours, which is always mm. good. That means we can produce more podcasts in the same amount of time. Mm. Well, uh, I feel like giving something away. Do you? Yeah, absolutely. What do we got? Well, we got our standard Keep Calm and Keto On coffee mugs with our mugs on them. Just for something different. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to be a little different today. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, each week we give away a coffee mug to one lucky member of the Two Keto Dudes fan club. And to join, it's very simple. You just go to fanclub.twoketo.com and you answer a few Mm -hmm. questions and put in your email address and you register yourself to win a mug or whatever else we happen to be giving away on the show that day. And so uh, we just picked a name at random today. Mm. And who have we got? Well, the winner today is none other than Melanie Cruz. Yay! Melanie. Congratulations. You got a mug with our mug on it. <laughs> yeah, and Melanie is also a, uh, a, a donator. She's made a donation to us on a monthly basis. Okay. Yep. That doesn't guarantee you're going to win the competition, though. Nope. We have no, we don't, we don't know nor care. That's right. She just happened to be on that list, too. So thank you, Melanie. And if you don't want to wait to win a mug by, say, waiting to win the lottery, you can always buy one at gear.2keto.com and pick yourself up a t shirt or a onesie or an apron while you're there. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. And that brings us to a little section we call. I'm going to go first. Right. I've got one here, and this is from uh, Tammy Steve on our forum. Uh, this is actually, I think, from Steve Kidd, uh, but the uh, account is used by both Tammy and Steve. Okay. Um, and uh, he's, he says, uh, everything is hard in the beginning, no matter what you are talking about. When Tammy converted to the ketogenic lifestyle, I didn't follow along in the beginning as I thought it would be just, you know, a fad diet and, and, and so I passed. But I slowly worked my way in about six months after she was on it and I shed 20% of my body weight in about a year from 234 to 188. Hmm. And I've been hanging in the 186 to 190 range for over a year now. Yes, she has way more motivation than anyone I've seen on the keto lifestyle, but I figure she's added years to my life by getting me on it. 
My dad died at 52 years old. That was 20 years ago. Hmm. He died from being grossly overweight and diabetic. Ah. He was muscular and athletic in his youth and college years, but as time went on, he wasn't. Just like most of us, and the weight packed on. Mm. Uh, at five foot eight, he stayed around three twenty to three fifty pounds ever since I can remember. Wow! The diabetes was diagnosed in his late thirties, and he never did anything about his weight slash eating habits other than taking insulin twice a day, thinking he would go on forever like that yeah. from the medicine the doctor prescribed. Yuck! And I, I'm just going to mention here: I'm fifty two years old. Yeah. Um, I'm the I'm the age his father died. I'm only I'm a I'm a little bit taller than he he was, and I I I started out about the same the same weight. Mm. Um, I was almost on on insulin. I was getting close, and I was I was diagnosed as diabetic in my late thirties at, at age thirty eight. So interesting. Um, I see my own story in his. Wait, story this about is his your father. son. <laughs> I don't have any of those that I'm aware of. So anyway, Steve goes on and he says um, about his father taking insulin twice a day, thinking he would go on forever like that from yeah. the medicine the doctor prescribed. And at 46, he became disabled and had numerous other problems that all came from the combination of the obese weight and diabetes and no motivation to change personally. Yeah. When you're gone at 52, you never see your golden years of retirement the, what you've worked for, for your entire life. You never see what success your children uh, become in their adult life, yep. and you never see your grandchildren. I was probably going to be on the same path as he was if I hadn't have done something about my weight mm. as it was slowly gaining a few pounds every year and my overall eating habits were not great. I'll be 50 in three months and Tammy will be 52, and with the exception of my thyroid pill, which I'm stuck taking because they removed my parathyroid gland years ago. Neither of us take any daily medication, and our medical numbers slash blood work look straight A student scores. Yeah. It does work, but once again, nothing is easy in the beginning. Right. Uh, and he says, uh, you know, no one likes change. I was stressed out and moody, and uh, I didn't like giving up my daily six to eight cans of Coke. Oh. Uh, I did didn't like giving up my Reese's peanut butter cups. Uh, didn't like giving up my little Debbie snack cakes, okay. my McDonald's French fries chips. Can I say I don't miss them? Hell, yes, they tasted awesome. But you've got to decide how you want to live your life. And I've seen it firsthand that being overweight and unhealthy will shorten your life vastly. And think about the quality of life when it comes to what you're able to do physically later in life. As I watched my dad basically become bedridden or in a chair for the last six years of his life from 46 to 52, mm. and think about all the things that he missed in life because of those choices. Yeah. You do what you want. I'm not here to preach or point a finger at you, but I'm just telling you about my family history that was shortened, my vision of my future and why I chose to get on board and stay aboard the keto lifestyle with Tammy. Mm. One last thing I've got to add, have you heard the phrase pay now or pay later? Well, it's much more expensive later. Sure is. The saying's not just about food costs or eating healthy. This is about paying for your bad decisions later in life, whether it be spending $600 a month in prescriptions like my mother does now or losing 20 to 30 years of your life like my dad did just because of a lack of dedication or being scared to change your lifestyle. Yeah. That was an interesting um, yeah, well, story from Steve. Thank you for that. And uh, we've uh, there's a long thread of, uh, of, of people seeing their own story in his dad's story so um you know this ketogenic diet you know it sounds uh trite to for to to get on a diet and lose some weight but, right you know, for a lot of us this is really turning our lives around come for the weight loss stay for the health benefits 
Absolutely. Yeah. So that's my mail. What have you got there? All right. Well, I'm going to read a brand new five-star Apple Podcast review from Jim in the UK. Nice. And for those who don't know, Apple Podcasts is the new name for iTunes podcast reviews. Mm-hmm. They're sort of, Apple is sort of going, moving away from that brand. Anyway, uh, Jim says, I've lost 202 pounds from 462 wow. to 260 with a ketogenic diet and intermittent fasting <laughs> over the last 18 months. Wow. All right, let me read that again. 202 mm-hmm. pounds in 18 months. And that's incredible. Wow. <laughs> My type 2 diabetes is in remission, and despite being diagnosed with decitis, that's basically an infection and inflammation of the uh, vertebrae. Mm-hmm. I'm in the best health of my life. The theme from the very beginning has been taking control of my own health through the knowledge so generously provided by the other engineers, doctors, scientists, and knowledgeable people who are bravely sticking their necks out and standing up for what is right. It started with Ivor Cummins' interview with the superstar hero Joseph Kraft. Mm-hmm. And what engineer wouldn't be a fanboy girl of Ivor after listening to what he has to say? And along Absolutely. the way, Two Keto Dudes has become the gold standard when pointing friends and family in the right direction to start their own journey to reclaiming their health. Humble, calm, generous, and open, this show is how we reach hearts and minds. Keep calm and keto on. Wow, Jim. Thanks very much, Jim. Yeah. Thank you, and congratulations on that stellar weight loss. It just blows me away. I don't think I've ever heard a story of somebody losing so much weight so fast. But he's also reversed his diabetes, which is also unknown. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> you know, I mean, the weight lo- everyone notices a weight loss. Most yeah. people aren't going to notice that he has just managed to reverse a disease that medical science says is, is only progressive. So, right. <laughs> well done, Jim. Well done indeed. So the topic of today's show is what we got wrong. Right, Richard? Yeah, right. So we've interviewed um, probably 50 or 60 people on the show. We've done um, probably another 40 episodes of our own basically giving the research that we've uh, discovered uh, to explain how we were able to reverse our diabetes Mm. and how the diet works for us. But along the way, a lot of these experts taught us a lot of things about uh, about ketogenic diets. And so if you go back to listen to some of our early episodes, we got some things wrong. Yes, we did. now it's an opportunity for us to actually come clean and, and, and talk about some of the things that we got wrong. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we learned a lot of stuff along the way and some things we revised. And uh, mm. there you go. Yeah. So why don't you start? So the first thing that I was really wrong about was BMI. I wasn't wrong about it being remedial math for doctors. That argument really still stands. It's a mm. poor approximation of the high school formula for volume of a box that assumes that all humans are uniformly dense and of equal height and width. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which no, is crazy. Ridiculous on the face of it. Now, yeah. what I had wrong was that I still thought that normal BMI was a target, a goal for me to aim for. But here's the problem. I'm unusually dense for a human being. <laughs> I, I charted my current BMI and body fat on a population that includes women in one band and then a big gap and then men at a more dense part of the chart and then a big gap and then me and a few outliers in a band <laughs> all by ourselves. Wow. <laughs> so um, it, my, my fat-free mass, according to Dex, is 80.38 kilograms and my current weight is 100 kilograms. And so my, my body fat percentage is 19.6%, which is pretty good. Mm. But but my BMI is thirty one point five, which puts me well over overweight. I'm into obese one again. 
to in wow. at least one category. Yeah. Um, my mistake is that I thought that my final form would be to get below 25, which is normal. Normal is mm. like 18.5 to 25. Normal BMI, according to the people who make these things. <laughs> right, uh, insurance yeah. companies. But uh, at my height, to be a normal BMI, I would have to weigh 79 kilograms. And my, huh. my, my fat-free mass is 80, 80.38. So, uh, so I would actually have to – I mean, that's one and a half kilograms less than my fat-free mass. So you'd have to lose muscle mass. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. Even if I could get down to an impossible 0% body fat. I mean, 10% is low. But if I could get down to the utterly impossible 0% body fat, I would still need to lose an additional 1.5 kilograms not to be considered overweight, mm. ac- according to BMI. So anyway, I've decided that I'm pretty close to my ideal weight right now. Um, I've got enough stored energy to be able to fast for a day without having to you know, recruit lean mass f- for energy, and I can do superhuman stuff like go out and ride 100K without having breakfast. So Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> that'll do for me. <laughs> yeah, I think having the body fat percentage is a far more useful measure yeah. of anything than BMI. Mm. I mean, that's, that's really what you people expect it to be. You know, they yeah. expect it to be, how much fat do I have on me? Right. We, th- we expect that's what BMI is going to be. Girth is yeah. another one. You know, throw a measuring tape around your, around your belly at your waist. That's probably one of the yeah. best measures that you can have for it all. But uh, yeah. I, I think b- body fat percentage is good. Tells me exactly where I'm at, and I'm pretty happy with that. Very good. So what have you got, Carl? Well, the first thing I want to talk about getting wrong is that I thought when I started keto and I was losing weight and everything, you know, was awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I would continue to lose weight at more or less the same rate that I was losing at the beginning there. Right. Um, I didn't, you know, I knew that there were people that stalled and I had heard that kind of stuff. And, and I looked at stalling as a, a sort of a failure, you know, as a sort of a dysfunction. Right. And, and, uh, then, you know, when I did land and I landed at about 80 pounds, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't change mm-hmm. the way that I ate at all. So, uh, it certainly wasn't anything that I was or wasn't doing. So I can't see this stall that happens to everybody. I mean, look at everybody has this issue. Every yeah. single male that we've read of people who've had uh, success on a ketogenic diet, they lose a lot of weight and then they stop losing weight. So we have ideas as to why this happens. And, you know, people can debate what's what's actually going on. But the one thing that you can't deny is that it seems to be a very, very common pattern for people yeah. who go low carb, high fat, ketogenic, whatever you call it, lose a lot of weight, and then stop losing weight. So there's a good explanation for it. What happens is when you you are obese, your body fat most most of your body is insulin resistant. Yeah, your body fat is also insulin resistant, and your body fat's job is whenever insulin goes high, it, it, its job is to put the lid on and to not allow energy to, to release into circulation right. until insulin goes low again. But the problem is that um, a type 2 diabetic who's, who's obese has such high insulin all the time, they're trying to stuff so much energy into their body fat, the body fat ends up becoming physically unable to carry more energy. The physical mechanism is that there is so such a large lipid droplet inside your adipocyte, you can't get glucose transporters to the surface of the cell to get glucose in to be able to lock up more fat. So um, what actually happens is 
you go and go keto, you drop your insulin, all of a sudden you now can burn energy from fat mm-hmm. and your body fat is still releasing all the energy because it's still insulin resistant. But at some point, those lipid droplets get small enough that now you can get glucose transporters to the surface of the cells mm. and, you, okay, you've lost 100, you've lost 80 pounds of very large amount of weight. But the important thing that's happened is that your uh, adipocytes, your body fat cells have become insulin sensitive mm. and your insulin is high, now they're doing their job. When your insulin is high, they know what their job is and that is to hold on to energy and right. they're waiting for insulin to come low before they can release the energy again. So I would be proud of the fact that you've hit a plateau because it means that you're, uh, you've lost so much weight from your body fat that it has become insulin sensitive and yeah. it's doing its job. Yep. So that's the biochemical answer to, to how that happens. But right. um, it's frustrating for people because once you get to that point, um, there are a number of strategies to lose weight from that point. It all comes down to lower insulin. And keep calm keto on. Your yeah, right. insulin will, will lower over time if you just keep calm keto on. If you stay right. ketogenic for a long enough time, you're exposing your body to less insulin right. over a longer period of time. You become more insulin sensitive. And of and course, intermittent fasting and extended fasting will help bring that yep. insulin down even more rapidly. Absolutely. So, And working on sleep and all sorts of things. But, you yeah. know, keeping calm and keto on is how you get off the plateau. So... Um, Congratulations for being on a platter. That's actually a great thing. It is a great thing. And uh, yeah. most people see it as a dysfunction. I saw it as a dysfunction. I learned that, mm. no, it's not. It's completely normal and completely natural. And that uh, keeping calm and ketoing on is the answer. Mm. Yeah. Next one. The next thing that I had wrong was I thought that I had to eat three square meals a day. Yep, yep. You know, and, and you think, well, you know, there is breakfast time and lunch time and dinner time, and these right. times are set in stone and, you know, yeah. they're on stone tablets and we must thou obey shalt. them. And <laughs> they are thou shalt. And I've, I have learned that, uh, that breakfast time is a myth. Mm-hmm. Lunchtime is a myth. Even dinner time is a myth. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, these things uh, are not necessarily um, uh, important. Nope. Uh, you can go three, four, five days without uh, without eating. Um, and for and, people who are just uh, starting, they don't believe us when we say this, that, yeah. oh, I could never do that. Well, no, not right now, because you're in a different metabolic profile than we are. We're fat adapted. You're on the glucose roller coaster. Yeah, we don't get hungry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not not in the same way. Not in the same way. So, yep. Yeah. So that's so, that, so that's it. Three squares. I, I learned that three squares is also bunkum. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So the next one is I thought I had to step on the scale every day to measure my success. All right. Yeah. Uh, because um, it's a hard number, right? Mm, it's objective. Yeah. They're correct. You can't interpret it any way, but it turns out you can. I mean, mm. your number of weight doesn't correlate to whether you're losing fat or not, because you exactly. can be losing, you can be burning fat off your body. Mm. and gaining weight at the same time. Right. How is that possible? Mm-hmm. Well, there are other substrates in your body besides fat, right? Yeah. Well, you could be uh, becoming more hydrated, for example. That's right. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Water is a kilogram for each liter of, of water, so yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I have never done a DEXA scan, mostly because my doctor wouldn't give me one. Hmm. Even though I asked for one, they said, you don't need that. You don't have you know bone problems or whatever. 
And uh, right. and I said, well, yeah. yeah, they didn't understand. <laughs> so I'm in the process of getting a new doctor, mm. and this new doctor, you know, is is more hip to ketogenic diet and carbohydrates and all that stuff. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. But I didn't do one before I started, so I don't know mm. how much body fat I had. I don't know how much body fat I don't have. Mm. But um, I don't know. I, I it, it seems like I'm. I have more lean mass now than I did before. That's my. That's what I'm guessing, but I don't know. You probably, you almost certainly have more as a ratio because you've lost fat right. uh, in the process. And now remember, y- you were what three sixty, three sixty pounds. Yeah, yeah, uh, three sixty six. Your, your legs were used to 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 carrying a three sixty six pound man up and down flights of stairs. Yep. You know now. What's happened is as you've lost body fat, you've probably, I mean, this is the experience that I had. My, the, my, my legs have like 9% body fat left. Mm. They're, they're nothing but muscle. And it's because they used to carry me around a three, you know, I was up around that yeah. range and I was riding up and down hills. So yeah, my wife tells me I have awesome calf muscles. There you go. There you go. Most big lads do, but uh, yep. uh, so that's almost assuredly the case that uh, that yep. you and and you do put on some muscle. Uh, this is something right. Jeff Volek found was that some of his uh, some of his patients uh, put on a ketogenic diet actually gained muscle right. as they lost body fat. Right. So yeah, well, that's my next one. What's yours? So I thought I had to uh, calorie restrict to lose weight. Yeah. Yeah, and and you know, it, sure, even though you first go keto and you lose like seventy pounds. Um, your appetite goes down. So yeah. isn't that calorie restriction? And this is what, you know, mm. experts who uh, who talk about calorie balance, energy balance, uh, say. They say, well, you, you ate less, um, so of course you're going to lose weight. Mm. All we're doing is eating to satiety. It's satiety is actually doing all of the hard work. Right. So, um, you know, so uh, and the fact that I can use that energy finally. I mean, uh, as soon as you go on a low insulin diet, you can all of a sudden use that fat. Uh, for energy and uh, that's the majority of what's happening it's not that you're not eating it's the fact that you're eating and consuming energy that you stored for a rainy day right right and we all know about insulin we've learned from people like dr fung that when you eat insulinogenic foods your insulin level goes up and that essentially locks the door to burning fat mm. so you your your fat cells yeah. aren't available as a fuel source but when you eat fat and you restrict carbohydrates or restrict the insulinogenic foods more specifically right. your insulin yeah. level goes down yes you've eaten fat and it's more calorically dense but you've unlocked the door and you've yeah. unlocked your your body's ability to burn your body fat so so that's why you you if you calorie restrict non-insulinogenic foods, mm. that's a different story, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So so you know that's that's the thing. I mean, it's it's uh, uh, on the outside. If you if you consider human beings to be a closed and en- en- energetic system, yeah. um, then the law of thermodynamic thermodynamics. Uh, insists that energy cannot be created or destroyed, and so uh, if you eat less food, you should be storing less. Uh, but you know, it's yeah. uh, it's it all comes down to how much you use, uh, and the amount that you eat is actually a very small part of the first the first hundred pounds of body fat <laughs> yeah, loss. Right. Most of it's about uh, your body being able to use all of that energy. Yeah, exactly. 
So what have you got? Well, the next one on my list is that I thought I needed to have keto treats all the time or else I would oh, feel yeah. deprived. I, I mm. you know, I was planning on having, um, uh, you know, crisps, cheese crisps in the house all the time. Um, I, I thought I had to have sweet things all the time to, to sort of replace you know, the sweet things that I had in my life. So I focused on things sure. like chocolate mousse and, you know, desserts. Mm. Remember the pumpkin mousse and, and uh, yeah. you know, chocolate mug cakes and things. Now, I don't, I can't tell you the last time I made any of that <laughs> stuff. I don't have any sweeteners anymore. Yeah. And, you know, it's just not in my palate anymore. To me, food isn't sweet. It's just that right. simple. I, and I can't. It's not a matter of willpower. I just don't want it. Yeah. Yeah. To me, a, a good meal is a, a plate of deep fried bacon wrapped lamb chops. <laughs> you know, that's just what I want to eat. For vegetarians, it may be avocados and coconut oil and macadamia nuts. But to me, that's food. So. Yeah. You realize you're ruining my, my chocolate churros yeah, <laughs> recipe. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. I would have some of that, and I would, it would yeah. taste good, but I just don't crave it. Not every meal. Not every meal. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So my next one is that I thought that a healthy diet required greens. Yeah. You know, this is a common thing that, uh, you know, you talk from a very early age that – uh, a diet with vegetables and uh, plants in particular yep. is an extremely good diet. And the less plants you have and the more non-plant food like meat that you have, yeah. the worse the diet becomes. Sure. But in fact, um, we know people who are extremely healthy. We learned this from Amber O'Hearn. Mm. Amber O'Hearn is much more healthy on a diet that has absolutely no plant at all. Right. Um, she's on a strict, strictly carnivore diet. Mm. Uh, and we learned from Nina that um, that – uh, meat is nutrient dense, especially offal meat. Yeah, uh, is is nutrient dense. The liver is one of the most nutrient dense foods on the planet. Right. Um, which you know, I, I hate liver. So <laughs> thanks, Nina. <laughs> but uh, you know, offal also includes skin and bones, mm -hmm. and you know, bone broth is delicious, and uh, skin is outstanding. I yeah. mean, you know, pork yeah. skin and chicken skin. Mm. Um, and one of the things about plants is that they, uh, plants, the major enemy of a plant is not animals like us it's insects it's pests right. it's it's the insects that can the, the locusts that can decimate a crop uh prevent it from reproducing i mean that's right. the major uh, enemy of a, of a plant and the way plants defend themselves is with chemicals yeah that's right phytotoxins yeah phytotoxins so the the flavor mm. of a plant is actually some measure of you know how toxic it is to insects. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and in the case of an insect, I mean, there's some some plant toxins that, for example, would uh, prevent you f prevent an insect from digesting any starch mm. or digest or taking in any calcium or, mm. you know, th these are all things that these phytotoxins do. In a human being, because we're such a large animal, uh, you know, a plant is not going to be able to overwhelm our system like it could in insects. Mm. It, it, that, that, that sort of thing kills insects. For us, it just, you know, gives us a bit of a stomachache. But right. personally, I eat greens because I, I actually do enjoy them and sure. I actually hate 
hate liver. So, <laughs> uh, so I eat greens so that I don't have to eat liver. <laughs> Good. Um, but, and you know, thanks to Dr. Sarah Halberg, um, who said, uh, always add fat to vegetables. Mm. Um, I learned, you know, if I'm going to do some broccoli, I don't really, I don't steam it and overcook oh, it. Oh, no, no, no. I, I lightly cook it. Yeah. And I put butter on it or I, I make a hollandaise or I, or some olive you know, oil or I, something, I add yeah. a fatty s- olive oil or some fatty sauce, uh, you know, maybe olive oil and some, some ar- shaved almonds or something like that. But, uh, you know, so, um, yes. That makes vegetables delicious. Much, much more delicious, yes. So that's it. I, l- I learned that I don't have to have greens in my diet. Uh, my next one is that I thought it would be a constant application of willpower to overcome the temptation of carbs, because that's what I had experienced my whole life. And so this is another thing people say when they, you know, you can, when you talk to them about the ketogenic diet, oh, I mm-hmm. could never give up X, you know? I could never yeah. stop eating pizza. I could never stop eating beer, cookies, bread, bread beer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, beer is a killer yeah. for a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, and so they naturally project, oh, I, so I'm going to have to constantly say no to all these foods. That's going to be too hard. But mm. as you know, um, it was only hard for me anyway until I became fat adapted. So six to eight months later, and it was interestingly coinciding with when my plateau started interesting yeah Hmm. six to eight months later it became really easy second nature just habit you know you you, your desire for all things carbohydrate just keeps going down yeah yeah i just don't see that as food anymore i don't see bread really as food anymore the, the crust is nice and you know homemade bread with that yeasty smell i quite like the smell but the actual you know bread meh. and more no, importantly thanks. there isn't anything there isn't a little voice inside your head saying oh i need to have that or i gotta have one of those or you know what i'm saying like that just happens yeah and so i i i, I kind of thought that it might but i really couldn't imagine it so that's the next thing on my list yeah. So my next one is uh, that I thought that uh, to be ketogenic, I had to drink a bulletproof coffee. All the a time. coffee with fat whizzed up in it, in other words. Or a keto coffee, yeah, fat. Normally, you know, it's a, it's a, a coffee with MCT oils or brain yeah. octane oil or coconut oil, sometimes yeah. butter. Um, but that was only in the early days. Yep. Um, you know, I'd, I'd have a, I'd have a keto coffee for breakfast and I'd not feel like eating until mid afternoon. And, th- and that is, that is what they're there for. Yep. They're a meal replacement. You know, as Jason Fung says, don't eat a keto coffee or drink a keto coffee and then go and eat more food. Right. You know? But, you know, one day I just woke up not hungry. You know, normally I'd wake up and I'd have one, I'd be hungry, I'd have one for breakfast and then I'd not feel like eating until mid afternoon. Yeah. And, and, you know, one, one day I just woke up and I just wasn't hungry and yeah. I didn't still, and I still didn't feel like eating until mid afternoon. Yep. And the the answer really there is I was fat adapted. Mm. Um, I was using, you know, I was able to survive quite happily on my on my body fat over the night and and into the morning and just keep going until, um, you know, mid afternoon. And I've rarely had a keto coffee since that yeah. point. I think the last time I had one was in Breckenridge this time last year, and that was because Kim bought some vanilla MCT oil uh, to try, and right. so I was keen to keen to taste what that tasted like, but. I'm not a fan of vanilla and coffee together anyway, so wasn't a fan. What I do with that is on my first day of a fast, I usually drink a couple of tall iced coffees with heavy cream and cinnamon. 
Well, well it's not really much of a fasting, is it? <laughs> yeah, well, it's a it's a certainly lowering protein, which turns down yeah, mTOR and uh, yeah, that's true. You know, and it's non-insulogenic, so it's a great way yeah. to to kick off a fast. And then mm-hmm. you know, the next day, the real fasting, the water and salt fasting begins. So right. that's the only time I really have coffee with fat in it. So my next one is, I thought the hardest part of fasting would be hunger. Right. Yes. And it was at first. Mm, it was. At first. Yeah. But uh, the more you do intermittent fasting and then maybe an extended fast, the more you do that, the easier it gets. Just like the ketogenic diet. I mean, you got to do it for a while in order to get to that place where it just becomes second nature and easy. And so turns out that right now the biggest barriers are psychological and social. Really? To fasting for me. Yeah, peer pressure really. Yeah. Yeah. Social meaning, oh, my kids always come over for dinner. Um, yeah. I want to cook a nice meal for them. And I haven't yet gotten to the point where I cook a meal for somebody else while I'm fasting and then sit down and not eat with them. Although I know that right. is the superpower that enables you to navigate these social situations. Yeah, so for me, I actually really quite like uh, cooking when I'm fasting because my sense of smell is highly uh, attuned, and so yeah, um, you know, I can t- I can taste the food just by smelling it. And Interesting. I'll, I sometimes when I'm fasting, a couple of days into a fast, I walk through a food court and identify the spices in the foods around me just by smelling them and and thinking about how the food was created. Yeah, yeah and that brings me to the psychological issues. Um, mm. You know, we have just we're so conditioned to eat every day, uh, at least once, right? right? We're so yeah. conditioned to eat that, you know, you sort of have this little panic. And even though you know the science is there, you sort of have this little, oh, well, well, well I have to eat something, you know? <laughs> and uh, so, so breaking those habits and habits take a while to break. So that's why doing an extended fast every once in a while is good because you then get used to um, for many reasons, but you get used to the idea of doing it as a as a part of normal life. Uh, you mentioned walking through the food court and stuff, and mm. I, I read this book called uh, Breakfast with Buddha. It's a great book, okay, and mm. it sort of introduces the Eastern philosophies to the Western reader um, through a through a narrative, through a story about this guy who's. You know, got nothing to complain about in life, but still was sort of just blasé. You know, life was just sort of blasé. Everything, the, the trains were running on schedule. You know, there wasn't any problem. Hmm. But uh, it just felt like he was missing something. And his sister takes him uh, on a journey, basically, with her guru, who's this monk guy. And he's okay. he's like a lama, you know, he's a, a, mm-hmm. a Buddhist monk. And the guy is really annoyed by this monk. He ends up going on the trip without the sister and taking the monk. And it's a trip to across the country to wrap up the estate of their parents who have died or mother, the last father, whatever. Right. And so it's the whole trip with this guy. All right. So the monk doesn't eat. And, you know, he sits there while uh, the, the main character is eating a big steak and whatever And, you know, this monk doesn't eat anything. And so the monk says, what I do is I think about food. I meditate on food. 
to satisfy my hunger or to satisfy my right. uh, psychological issues. So he'll sit and meditate and actually think about what food feels like in your mouth, what it tastes like, try to, try to imagine the tastes and the smells of food. And that yeah. helped him get through a fast uh, psychologically, but maybe also something happens. And now, now I, I know it doesn't make sense. No, it does. Well, yeah, it does make sense and it doesn't. Because from what I know about insulin, just thinking about food can, Jason says anyway, can raise your insulin. Mm. Uh, I don't right. know about any tests that show that. I would. That's why I'd love to have a home insulin test. But, but I, but I have done it, and it it is helpful. So there's the there's the psychological issues. It's it's kind of like mindful eating without the eating part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, I mean, I, I like sometimes when I'm eating a meal, uh, I like to think about the food as I'm eating it yeah. and be in the moment of the eating rather than right. eating be a competitive thing where you're just trying to shovel in as many calories as you can. Right. Uh, I like to think about, you know, food as I'm eating it. And um, and that, that, that my whole mindful eating is part of uh, how people um, are supposed to get past eating disorders mm -hmm. not i don't think i've got particularly got an eating disorder other than carbs derange me but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but certainly uh the mindfulness was good so all right well what's your next one uh i thought that all fats were equally bad and then i went low carb healthy fat and then i thought that all fats were <laughs> equally good but yeah. you know <laughs> Thanks to Nina Teicholz, um, uh, you know, I, I learned that trans fats are really bad for you. Yeah. Um, and uh, Tom Norton as well, he he uh, uh, told the story about the man from CSPI. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and this is, uh, this is, this was interesting. So I, I managed to ditch, that was pretty easy because I, I never really liked margarine, these hydrogenated vegetable yeah. oils. Yeah, they're not good stuff. But the next point really was the polyunsaturated fats, and it was thanks to Gary Fetke. Uh, we spoke to him uh, at Breckenridge last year, right. and um, he said to us that, you know- Carbs make you hungry, sugar makes you fat, and vegetable oils make you sick. Right. So, and inflamed, and that's- yeah. And, and so, uh, so uh, basically, I, I cut polyunsaturated oils out of my diet. Hmm. Um, I used to use rice bran oil to make mayonnaise. Now I make my mayonnaise with avocado oil. Yeah. Now, avocado oil does have some polyunsaturated um, uh, fatty acids in it, hmm. but, you know, it, it's it's mostly monounsaturated uh, fatty acids yeah. and some saturated fatty acids. And so it, it it's not these large amounts of omega-6 um Right. Uh, polyunsaturated fats like seed oils. Uh, I just don't have seed oils in my in my diet anymore. I think probably the only exception would be sesame oil. I have like a drop of sesame yeah. oil for flavor, but you know I don't think of that as an oil. Well, I think that's it, right? That that seed oils and corn oil and oils that are from things that seem like they don't have any oil in them. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the problem. It's okay. the processing of seed oils that that makes them so terrible for you so i i tend to use oils that uh you know when you think consider the source olives are very oily okay so that's right. very easy you press the yeah. olives the oil comes out you you use the oil peanut oil is another avocado. one yeah avocado but peanut oil is another one that people are confused about 
And mm. peanut oil, if you, you know, because peanuts are oily, obviously you make peanut butter, the oil rises oh. to the top. Um, mm-hmm. But they they do have a, a little bit more omega-6 than people okay. think you should mm-hmm. have. However, yeah. peanut oil is really stable at high temperatures. And so right. if you deep fry with it, the mm. from what I've read, practically none of the omega-6 attaches itself to the food that you're frying it in. Right. So it stays in the oil in the frying oil. It stays in the frying oil, yeah. yeah. And so um, I, I don't know if that's true or not, but peanut oil is a really uh, a cheaper alternative to tallow, which is the best for deep frying, and lard, which is second best. Oh, yeah. 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 But I avoid ever, all seed oils. Yeah, I have nut oil sometimes. So, for mm. example, uh, when I make my fennel salad, I'll use walnut oil yeah. or uh, hazelnut oil. Uh, but again, it, it, to use your analogy, nuts are slightly oily. You squeeze right. a nut, you can see where the oil's coming from. Yep. So, yeah, absolutely. Corn is not oily at all. Corn, so where's the oil make, in corn? <laughs> yeah, and where's the high fructose in it as well? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, so... Awesome. So my next one is that uh, I knew I had to eat more salt, but I didn't know how ah, much yeah. I needed to eat. And I, I know a little more about it now that we uh, talked to Dr. James Antonio and mm. his book, The Salt Fix. That was a real eye-opener. Now, I knew that um, from listening to Finney and Volick and reading their book that they recommend yeah. three to five grams of salt a day. And yeah. I think... Uh, I, I could be wrong, but I think uh, when I asked Dr. Antonio how much is too much, um, he said, you know, he thinks that people can tolerate up to six or seven uh, grams right. of salt per day if they're, you know, ketogenic, if they're burning fat, which means the insulin is lower and your kidneys are flushing it. Yeah. I think also the other criteria was if they're not hypertensive. If they're yes. hypertensive. Yeah, yeah. So if, if, you go, if you go on a ketogenic diet and you become normotensive, so your your blood pressure goes to normal levels. Right. Go for it. Yeah. You knock yourself out. But if you have high blood pressure, even after having a low insulinogenic diet, then, mm. yeah, you probably need to keep on the low end of things. But yeah, yeah. Well, that's my next one. What's yours? So I thought that I had to eat a fat macro. Right. You remember when in the early days yeah. where they had you had the pie chart, and in fact, this was my logo for my for my own personal blog for many years. <laughs> you have to have seventy five percent of your calories have to come from fat. Twenty five percent have to come from, uh, or you know, seventy uh, percent has to come from fat, and twenty five percent has to come from protein, and five percent have to come from carbohydrates. And I thought that I had to eat that fat macro. That you know, if if I had seventy seventy percent of my calories, I had to eat that that on my plate. Now, um, I realize obviously that your body fat has got to contribute at some point. Right. Uh, but I thought that I had to modify my, my macros on a regular basis to make sure that I kept a 20% caloric deficit. Yeah. So this is this whole, uh, macro, um, uh, ketogenic macros calculators where you, right. you know, you, you put in your current body weight and you put in, uh, how much, how much you want to lose and, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. and it set, you set up a 20% deficit and, and uh. then it changes how much fat you got to eat. Now, now you know, <laughs> Stephen Finney came to Australia sort of a year ago 
and he had a lecture series and he taught us that satiety is the key. Right. If you have this magical macro, fat macro, maybe you have 136 grams of fat that you've got to eat uh, in a day. What happens if you eat 112 grams and all of a sudden you're full? Are right. you going to go out and eat, eat, eat the balance? Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> know. Because, just because the macro tells it you that you should. This is just so, another example of how we fall into this trap as humans of figuring there has to be math involved in order to do <laughs> anything right. You know, we have to be, yeah. so we have to, we have to dominate our body with our brain and overcome you know, the body's natural desires, which are sinful, evil, disgusting, and wrong. Right. You know? Yeah, which we learned from Nick Mailer. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> That's right. you know, but, but, you know, math is not necessary unless you get Richard on to the subject of BMI, <laughs> and then you're going to get math. <laughs> well, and in doing the math, you realize that it was just pure hokum. Well, that's it, yeah. I mean, Steve, Steve Finney said, you know, satiety is the thing. It's yeah. It's the key. Never leave your table hungry. Satiety, basically, what it does is your body is quite happy to 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 use body fat or plate fat. It doesn't care. It's still the same fatty acids. It's still going to use them right. in exactly the same way. Doesn't know what a calorie is. Yeah, it doesn't care much uh, where it's going to get it from. Right. Uh, but what it's going to do is uh, your satiety is going to tell you when your body fat is no longer going to contribute to the energy calculation. Yeah. So um, what happens is let's say let's say you got rid of all let's say you got to 0% body fat. Mm. At that point you're going to have all of your energy coming from plate fat. Yeah. You're going to be hungry and your satiety is going to say you need to eat 300 grams of fat. Yeah. to get to satiation. Mm. As you lose body fat, that calculation changes, but your body is doing the calculus. It's weighing up thousands of different variables. You know, these these uh, ketogenic calculators just don't have access to all the all the data. And right. um, so, uh, so anyway, the the um, as you lose uh, more weight, your body fat can contribute less energy. So you need to eat more. Um, uh, so you use uh, satiety as a, as, a, as a natural signal. Yep. Um, so. If you don't, it, let's say, let's say satiety is going to kick in at, at, let's say, 150 grams of, of fat is what your body thinks it wants. It needs 150 grams of fat, and you give it 130 grams of fat. So you shortchange it by 20. So you're basically stopping before you're satiated. Yep. Okay. So what actually happens is your body has got less energy than it needed. Mm. And so what it, it, it can't get any more from fat. The reason it told you it's the satiation signals is because it, it wasn't able to get any more from body right. fat. Right. Uh, so what it's going to do is it's going to slow your metabolic rate and it's going to start finding an alternate source of energy, which is lean mass. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So that's the thing. If your satiation signal is going to come in at 150, but you only give it 120 because that's what the magic macro calculation has told you to do. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to slow your body metabolic rate and you're going to draw down some lean mass to use for energy, to waste for yep. energy. That's right. And the reason why I got that wrong as well is because, again, we are so conditioned to, uh, not trusting our body's hunger signals. Right. Because what happens when you're hungry? You eat. And, you know, what happens when you're a glucose burner and you're hungry? You want to eat carbs. Mm. And it's the eating of carbs that is the problem, mm. right? That keeps you in that roller coaster of uh, glucose and insulin. Yeah. 
And so we, we're just naturally leery of our body's ability to give us proper signaling. We've learned to distrust satiety, yeah. We've learned to distrust our body signals. So what, what happens, of course, is, you know, when you become fat adapted, the, the hunger for carbs goes away, as I've already talked about. And the hunger signals that you have and the satiety signals that you have work. Mm. Well, for most people, uh, Tim Noakes reckons that there's about 10% of people, most of them mostly are women, yeah. who for, for some reason or another, their satiety signals just don't quite work for them. Yeah. So for some people, but, but we're talking about, you know, 10, 10% of one, one gender. Right. Um, you right. know, for everybody else, for the other 19 in 20 people, mm. um, this is probably going to work. And so that's a, that's that, interesting. That's the, and that's, I mean, that, that's the other thing about satiety is that as your insulin gets higher, your, uh, as we spoke about before, when your insulin goes up, your body fat stops contributing. So you could consider somebody who has high fasting insulin to be in the same case as somebody who has 0% body fat. Right. So, you know, and this is why we plateau. We've spoke about this before. This is why right. we plateau because our body fat is no longer contributing energy. Mm. Um, now we're out, we're, we're hungry the whole time and we've got to get it off our plate. Yep. So, you know, that, that's, uh, that's good. why satiety, satiety rocks. Very good. Uh, we'll do a whole show on satiety pretty soon here, right? I think so. Yeah. Let's yeah. do that. Yeah. Okay. Well, my last one is that I thought I had to cook fancy keto meals that took lots of prep time. And this goes ah, back to nice. my, expectations and my projections about what my life, my new keto life would be when I started. Mm, and so yeah. there are some times when we come to do a show and I need a recipe and mm -hmm. I haven't cooked anything all week. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah, I had bacon and eggs, Ted Naiman, man. He says, <laughs> I tell, <laughs> he, say, he told us on the show, I tell all my he patients, did. just eat bacon and eggs for two weeks and come back and see me. Yeah. <laughs> and then you think about it, just eat bacon and eggs for two weeks. Who does yeah. that, right? Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. So <laughs> I strangely feel like I could eat bacon and eggs every day and not tire of them. And, you know, just noshing on um, meats and, you know, things that I've cooked before, things that are in my freezer, mm. meats that I've made with sauces. Like my, uh, I don't know, I mean, maybe I'm becoming an anti-foodie. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's going to happen. No, You're too that's good not going to happen. Sorry, I, I lost my mind for a minute there. Richard. <laughs> We're just going down to smaller plates this year. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. That's that. That's, that's our. It. That's our goal. So my final one is that uh, I thought that my biggest problem with diabetes was high glucose. Yeah, diabetes is defined as high glucose, chronic high glucose. Yeah, absolutely, being unable to control your glucose. It's not defined as chronic high insulin, which it should be. It because should be. Fifteen years before my glucose started to rise, my insulin was already high. Yeah, you know that's the thing is that it, the, diabetes at its heart is a a disease of disseminated vascular disease. Yeah. You know, cardiovascular disease, um, uh, uh, diabetic retinopathy, uh, diabetic neuropathy, mm. um, nephropathy. Mm. Uh, the, these are all diseases of the vascular system. And, uh, one of our, one of our friends, Siobhan, discovered this. Yeah. Um, that, uh, elevated insulin, increases scavengers whose job it is to capture damaged LDL, mm. which includes glycated. So, you know, the mm -hmm. sugar in your blood from being diabetic is doing some damage. You know, yep. it's, it's, it's damaging this LDL that's 
you know, traveling in your circulation system. Yeah. But high insulin tells the walls of your arteries to increase the number of scavenger receptors to grab these damaged LDLs and rescue the contents of those for recycling. Mm. So insulin, when it goes down, regulates something called the ATP binding cassette transporter, which is, or ABCA transporter, which is, now this is a, a transporter that is, uh, it, it's inside the mast cells and it comes to the surface a little bit like glute transporters do. And what its job is to do is to efflux all of that contents, the, the recycled contents of the LDL out of the foam cells and into HDL to be, to be sent away to basically to, to go to the liver to be go back recycled. To the liver, yeah. Exactly. So it's, so, so when insulin is always raised, which is what happens in a diabetic 15 years before their glucose starts to go yeah. up. Their insulin is always raised. It's like the trash service never visits, and the walls of your arteries end up looking like an episode of Hoarders, <laughs> you know. And 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 that's what causes cardiovascular disease. Yeah. So you know, it's it's really uh, this is the problem: is that the high insulin. Uh, so I thought that my problem with diabetes was all about glucose, but in mm. fact, uh, you know, this uh, insulin issue is something is an upstream factor that uh, happened 15 years before glucose. Went yeah, out right, and it affects everything. Well, that's uh, that's our content. We went a little long on that, but man, it's been a great two years, and I, I feel like I learned so much every time I talk to you, Richard. <laughs> we got a lot of things wrong, so we had to do a long episode. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Richard, are you hungry? Yeah, I am a little bit hungry, actually. <laughs> I'm feeling a little peckish. Yeah. I guess it's time for some... Recipes! So we've been doing Spanish tapas for, uh, we were going to do it for one month, but we had so many recipes, we just kept going. And so yeah. <laughs> we're getting to the end of our tapas recipes. We're starting to look at other cuisines. We're doing appetizers, right? Mm. So what have you got, Carl? What have I got? Yeah. Deep fried chicken skin egg rolls. That's what I've got. Oh, so it sounds like we're going Chinese now. Yeah, yeah, they could be Chinese. I guess, you know, you might call them pot stickers if they were a little mm. smaller, but- they're essentially meat roll-ups, you know? They're essentially like little burritos, if you think of I mean, every culture has these, right? Yeah, I, I'm sure. thinking more like lumpia. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's a crispy skin on the outside, and then whatever you want on the inside. So, mm. uh, what I chose to use for my filling is Mexican chorizo. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's the ground chorizo that has the spicy... Uh, flavor and mm. it's very soft and pliable not like mm. the the hard stuff right so i deep fried these in peanut oil which we were just talking about yeah um i got my chicken skins from a meat packing company oh and uh they're you know maybe 20 minutes away there's a meat packer and they have a store that's open to the public and uh you can get all sorts of things there that you wouldn't normally get in the supermarket yeah they probably just chuck them away. Yeah. So I called them up and I said, hey, can I buy some chicken skins? And they go, yeah, we got those. How much <laughs> you want? I said, well, how much are they? He goes, dollar a pound. And it's like, give me 10. 10 yeah. pounds. Mm. 10 pounds, 10 bucks. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I got, they came in a bag frozen. I thought them out. The thing is, is that. I had to sort through a lot of smaller pieces, you know? Right. But here's yeah. the thing about smaller pieces. Put some salt on them and deep fry them, and you've got these crispy potato chippy kind of snacks. Nice. 
They're really delicious can, just by yeah. themselves. Yeah, you can also put them on uh, between two trays, cookie trays with a, 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 a parchment paper in yeah. the oven and bake them and turn them into uh, into little uh, crispy little cookies. Yeah, yeah. You've mm-hmm. uh, actually shared that hint before on the show. I may have. I may have. I tend to repeat myself sometimes. Yeah, I know. That's and good. I, I also tend to repeat myself. <laughs> and also, <laughs> you tend to repeat yourself. Um, so, you got to find a piece that you can cut into about a six-inch square. Okay. Now, the reason- That's quite I, large, yeah. Yeah, it's quite large. Mm. And mm. Uh, the thing is, I tried l- smaller ones, mm-hmm. and they just weren't as tasty. The, the chorizo dried out. By the time the, the skin got crispy, the chorizo was dry. So, I found that I'm going to use about, oh, three or four tablespoons, Mm -hmm. like a a nice meatball size. That's that's a big chunk, yeah. Yeah, big chunk. Mm. And it's about, you know, an inch and a half thick. So, I wrap that up in the chicken skin and you want to fold over the sides so that the stuff doesn't come out. Yeah. And wrap it up and you're not done yet. You got to tie it up with some kitchen twine. You could also use a f- food like chives. You can use chi- a, a, a chive. That's a great idea too, as long as it wouldn't disintegrate in the oil. Yeah, yeah whatever you yeah, can yeah, use. Yeah, they last pretty well. Yep. Yeah. Cool. So I wrapped some twine around it, tied it up, and then mm. tossed it in salt. And I got it nice and salty. And that really helps. Yeah. <laughs> it really <laughs> makes it better. Uh, fry them for about seven minutes. Till they're crispy, crispy, and golden brown, and cut off the twine and serve immediately. Mm. Now, I was thinking about a sauce, mm-hmm. but I didn't have to think very long because these things are delicious just the way they are. <laughs> they didn't need a sauce at all. They didn't need a sauce at all. And you know, you, when you think of an Asian pot sticker or an egg roll or something, you're thinking a duck sauce, something sweet. Right. And you don't want yeah, that. Yeah. So. A hoisin, hoisin, yeah. Hoisin can- sauce, yeah. Yeah, you can make up a, a, a zero-carb hoisin. Yeah, th- there are recipes for that around. We've done it before with, uh, uh, with like a, you can start with the peanut butter and soy sauce and, yeah. and add a bit of sesame oil and you use that as a, the base to make your own hoisin. So you, you could do, if you, if, if you, um, your flavorings weren't, uh, you know, quite as tasty as you were hoping, yeah, make up a little sauce. Yeah, enough. I might do that for next week's recipe. Experiment mm. with a little dipping sauce. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Okay. Nice. You give me good ideas. Yeah. <laughs> so that's my recipe. What's yours? Yeah. I've been thinking I really want to do some dim sum, but <laughs> I get my ass kicked because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've been teasing these churros <laughs> for, <laughs> for like for like two months. So I now I, that I, I've yeah. moved on to dim yeah, sum, yeah. you're yeah. Now, I, one last one last tapas recipe. So <laughs> I've published it on our blog um, at uh, blog.tukido.com. And these are churros con chocolate, uh, which is, you know, a Spanish street food. It's like donuts with melted chocolate sauce. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as we've mentioned before, uh, earlier on in the podcast, you know, we, we don't, uh, we don't have chocolate treats all the time, but it's nice to be yep. able to have them once in a while. And sure. certainly uh, if you have a dinner party and your theme is tapas, this would be a perfect, uh, treat to bring out. Nice. So to make the the, the actual churros themselves, so we're going to bake them. We're not going to we're not going to um, 
normally with choice you you extrude a a, 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 a floury mixture into a deep fryer straight like a donut and mm. you fry it but we, we we had to take it a little bit more gently and bake them to start off with to get some structure to them yeah so we're going to start this recipe off the same way a regular choice recipe starts off with uh, we're going to boil about a cup of of water we're going to add uh, a, some uh, butter to that, 85 grams of butter, mm. and uh, we're going to add a little bit of sweetener, probably about two tablespoons of powdered sweetener of some kind. Um, mm-hmm. You you know, a traditional churros recipe would use sugar, but, but this they start out exactly the same way. So you get this simmering, and then you add the dry ingredients to that. And the dry ingredients will be about 100 grams of fine almond flour, about 40, mm. 40 grams of coconut flour, and uh, about a teaspoon of cinnamon powder. Um and a teaspoon of baking powder, and we're going to add these to the uh, to the sit to the the water that's uh, that's been simmering and has been just taken off the, the heater. And then, so what we do is we then add eggs to that mixture, and we mix it well, and we put the bowl into the fridge for fifteen minutes to chill. Hmm. So, uh, and uh, I did mention there were two eggs, didn't I? Yes. Yeah. So this recipe is going to make about eight plates. Of, of food uh, and this can be frozen so you can make this whole batch up freeze them and then uh, finish them off uh, uh, in the deep fryer at the end but what we're basically going to do is we're going to take a piping bag or you can just put these into a ziploc bag and just cut the end sure. of the bag yeah and you're going to pipe these over a silicon baking sheet uh, or you can pipe them onto parchment paper onto a cookie yeah. sheet and they don't have to be perfect. They just have to be, you know, churros can be lumpy and sort of ugly. They don't have sure. to all be ideal looking. And if you see the photos on on, on our blog yeah, site, yeah. mine yeah, are yeah. pretty ugly looking, yeah. So uh, I baked them for uh, for about 15 minutes at about 350 Fahrenheit or 180 Celsius. Mm-hmm. And what that does is it hardens them up. So now I can deep fry them. Yeah, they won't fall apart. They, that's right. Yeah, but at this point you can put them in a, in a freezer bag and you can freeze them for a couple of months. So, you know, that it's a nice thing to be able to do a whole batch up and then be able to pull out of the freezer and just fry it quickly. Now, if you did you them did in it. a circle, like a like a loop donut bagel thing, that would work as well, right? Yeah, you could use a bagel tray um, uh, uh, for for mm-hmm. that. Uh, absolutely. Um, in fact, I think uh, now that we're moving on to Chinese recipes, there's a Chinese cruller that uh, I plan to do uh, at some point, and I'm going to use a similar recipe for that as well. Oh, nice. Let's say you've 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 baked all of these uh, uh, churros. And then you've put them in bags into a freezer and you've forgotten about the whole thing. And then right. one day you think to yourself, oh, I think I might have some churros. So right. you go to the freezer, you pull out. Uh, I, For Julie and I, we'll probably have three churros each So yeah. uh, with a small amount of chocolate. So um, so it makes sense to freeze six in a bag and you know, you've got a meal yeah. for two people there. So what I do is I deep fry them in boiling tallow. Uh, yeah. in, a, in a deep fryer. And you can also shallow fry them in butter. If you don't have a deep fryer, you can throw some butter mm-hmm. in a pan and shallow yep. fry them. You want to get them golden brown, and yeah. uh, it really improves the flavor. You can you can eat them straight out of the, the, the oven. Um, you can dip them in chocolate. They'll be fine, but deep fry them. Yeah. The next step is now you've got to make some chocolate. Yeah. What I'd have is a silicone crucible for boiling chocolate. But we'll have a look on our blog. Yeah, it looks like a little fireplace that you'd put on your deck. Yeah. You know, has look like, like an urn. Like a little urn, but it's it's made out of silicone and it's got a top that can go onto it. And what you do is you you put cacao butter in there 
and you squeeze some of the air out of it, put the top on, put it in the microwave for a minute. When it comes out, it's not quite fully melted through. And I'm, I'm for two people, I'm going to to uh, probably melt about 50 grams of uh, cacao butter. I'm going to mm. add uh, maybe two teaspoons of uh, cocoa powder and mm-hmm. uh, a little smidgen of, uh, of pure sucralose sweetener. Now, you can't put liquid sweetener into melted chocolate. Because what that'll right. do is it'll a, any it liquid up. will seize it up. Yeah. So it's got to be powdered. Sucralose works well because you don't need a lot of it and it doesn't yeah. add to the dryness of it. Like you, if you use a, a, a dry sweetener, let's say, yeah, uh, you know, you're going to need more of that and it's going to actually bind it up. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And it, it's, I mean, you don't even need to have sweetener. You can add a bit of nutmeg or, or something sure. like that to it sure. and, 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 and go with like a bitter, a bitter chocolate is quite nice mm. as well. Mm. But, you know, I, I put a little smidgen of, uh, pure sucralose powder in that does the job. Nice. So now we've got 50 grams of, uh, melted cacao butter. We've already added the, the cocoa powder and the sweetener. And now what we're going to do is we're going to turn it into a ganache. And what that involves mm. is adding an equal measure of whipped, of, of, Heavy whipping cream. So okay. 50 grams of cacao butter, 50 grams of heavy, heavy whipping cream. Put the little lid on the, the uh, little crucible, the little silicone crucible, and shake it up and down until that cream has emulsified through. And you end up with a really creamy chocolate sauce. And And wow. uh, you can dip your churros into that, and it, that, it's delicious. It, it really is. It, it's, it's something that you probably thought you'd never, ever get to eat again. Donuts with chocolate. <laughs> yeah, right. Minimal carbs and that's and delicious. <laughs> well, that's great, Richard. Mm. And uh, wow, that's a show, a long show, but a good one. Yeah, but we finally yeah. got to Churros. <laughs> yeah, we finally did it. <laughs> yeah. Of course, if you have anything you want to tell us, something we said wrong, something you don't agree with, some more research that you found to support or refute anything that we've said, send it by email to dudes at 2ketodudes.com or post it on our website. And you can follow us on Twitter at 2ketodudes, on Instagram at 2ketodudes, and make sure to use the hashtag 2ketodudes. And of course, if you want to join the free ketogenic forum, it's forum.2keto.com. And if useless swag is your fancy, you know, t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other junk with witty keto sayings on them, head over to gear.2keto.com. And if you want a shot at getting some of that swag for free, join the 2Keto Dudes fan club. You'll be eligible to win something in every show. Go to fanclub.2keto.com. And if you feel like supporting our podcasts and our forums, think about making a pledge on our Patreon page at patreon.2keto.com or just hit the donate button on our website at ww.2ketodudes.com or go to donate.2keto.com. And you can also see all of our podcasts and other videos on YouTube at youtube.2keto.com. And if you haven't already, go leave us a review on iTunes. That's how new people get to know about what we do. And by the way, if you're interested in Keto Fest, we're getting ready to launch our Kickstarter. Yeah. But if you want to, uh, to be on the mailing list to know more about it, go to ketofest.com. You can read about what our plans are, when we're going to do it, uh, the weekend of July 21st. And uh, I have a little something that I should, we should probably tell people. No? No, should we, we shouldn't tell, tell them who's coming. No. We shouldn't tell them who's coming? No, we have but a it's very really special good. guest. Yeah. It's yeah. really good, yes. You are going to love this news when you hear it. <laughs> we have superstars coming to Keto Fest yeah. this year. That is, you know, if we make our goal. But go yeah, to yeah. KetoFest.com and sign up. Mm-hmm. Two Keto Dudes is brought to you by Two Keto LLC, who strives to support the low-carb community with podcasts 
and other publications. Well, keep calm and keto on, Richard. Yeah, keep calm and keto on, Cal. All right. And we'll see you next time on Two Keto Dudes. <laughs>